Hello. Hi. What would you like to have a conversation about? I'd like to have a conversation about Ex Machina. Hello, I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, and this is Manusha Ex Machina. With me today is Austin Pryor from Malkovich Malkovich Minute Minute. Welcome again. Hello there. <laughs> so we're in minute 23, and yeah, I'll just say this outright. You came into Zoom and put your name, your screen name is Nathan is a prick, <laughs> which is a great yeah, start. Yeah, yeah. Nathan is brick. That's yeah. that's that's my opening statement. That, you know, you haven't heard last week's episodes yet. Okay, but my new theory. I was going on this sort of forgiving bent where I'm like, Nathan knows what he's doing is wrong, and that's why he has a drinking problem. Right. You know, that was my thing before. Interesting. As of last week, I'm kind of operating on the idea that maybe he doesn't have a drinking problem at all, and that that is another fake thing he's doing. Yeah. To try to give Caleb a way to make a plan. Oh, wow, that he's that layered in his machinations. Because I noticed, yeah, it was last week when Caleb goes into this room, because in this minute, Caleb is still in that room with the Pollock painting and Nathan on the couch. Yeah. The door was unlocked. Yes. But specifically, it was unlocked with Nathan's card image on the panel. Oh, right. Yeah. Caleb didn't have to unlock it. Yes. Which implied to me the door had just been unlocked. Yes. Like Nathan went, unlocked the door and jumped on the couch. Oh, oh right. Just that minute. Or the yeah. door had been unlocked and left open in a, I am receiving guests he kind knew, of mode. Yeah. He knew Caleb would go out into the yeah. hallway and explore. Yeah. And the next door down is this room. I, and so he's like, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be drinking. We'll yeah. See and there's just been a power cut. So that door would have been locked mm-hmm. seconds ago. Yeah. I mean, if he did do that he put like three or four empty beer bottles on the table next to him, which, you know, I wouldn't put past them, but I, well, and the key there is the brand of beer is what this brand. The name is Japanese for plan. (gasps) Get out of town. (laughs) Okay. Well, I was just, (laughs) it's, it's funny. You should say that because my natural inclination is to always try and stick to a more direct interpretation of the text. Same. And when somebody goes off on one of these theories, I'm always trying to just like poke a hole in it. But the only observation I could think that I made in this viewing that is pertinent to this is actually in support of your crazy theory, (laughs) which is the idea that we're thinking about how the power cuts happen and how they're introduced to him. And he's already had this scene a few weeks ago that he says, you know, the walls are filled with enough fiber optic cable to, you know, lasso the moon or whatever. Yeah. And there's so many sensors everywhere and it's a smart building and everything that like it kind of strains credulity that Nathan wouldn't know exactly what was causing the power outages because she's overloading a capacitive charger yeah and she's sending too much current in the opposite directions back into the grid basically the local grid and so there would just be so many sensors everywhere and there would be you know if it's designed the way that it's presented in the movie that it would be a local grid and it would be a smart grid that there's sensors everywhere and the whole there's a software system that's running that whole thing and it would tell you where the fault is right so that that supports your cockamamie theory (laughs) that he's always known what's causing. Yeah. And he's allowing Ava to do that. Plus until Caleb got here, why would she even make power cuts other than maybe once or twice to test out that she could do it? Yeah. Well, it also could fit that he just hasn't had a chance to test it yet because it's new. Yeah. But I like the idea that he knows she can do that. Yeah. He made those panels. He knows what they're capable of. Yes. Yeah. 
and that there would be something in a log mm-hmm. somewhere that's like showing which node of the system the fault happened in and then he could put more sensors in that area or whatever even if there wasn't enough yeah. so yeah it's all i did observe that this time and i was just like well it's just movie magic it's okay it's just a story and if i didn't <laughs> notice it until my nth viewing of the movie it's not a flaw but now it it goes and supports your your uh, headcanon <laughs> But yeah, like Nathan, yeah, <laughs> this is like, I, I think the episode that I was on for this last time, you named an onslaught of prickishness <laughs> after, after my, after my, because, uh, because what I was saying back then was that my memory of the film was that Nathan starts out quite personable and then he gets, mm-hmm. you know, it gets more threatening. So this is the scene I was thinking about, about him getting, getting so threatening. Yeah. So it's a nice kind of thread, but yes, he was a prick from the start. It's such a power move from the start and everything he says is such a (laughs) is such a nathan but here he is where it's like uh oh this is a guy telling you you don't have phone privilege the first thing he does is the boo i'm in the room already Uh, right so (laughs) he scares him such a classic prick move so this entire minute caleb's standing there like frightened yeah like he doesn't move (laughs) yeah and the first thing that happens to caleb is rush of adrenaline Mm -hmm. and adrenaline like literally reduces your higher intelligence like if you're full of adrenaline you know the function of your frontal lobe goes down to like about 20 percent of its capacity right so maybe he hasn't had that high of a dose but he got a fright so he's like reasoning is compromised and he's barely awake too so that limits he's it barely <laughs> awake and he's not on home turf he's on nathan's home turf he's on the back foot everything about the power dynamic is so perfectly keyed towards you know to disadvantage for caleb and nathan just kind of swaggers without walking at all. He <laughs> just conversationally swaggers around. It just yeah. throws his weight around it. He's lounging on the couch and but it's in a cool way. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. He drinks a lot. He doesn't give a fuck. And he's uh <laughs> he's digging the scene with the gangster lean there on the on the couch. <laughs> He's immediately in and this, you know, just really threatening vibe. Even when the first things he says are nice. Yeah. In this yeah. minute. I mean, great guy. Oh, Instant yeah. pals and great so on. Great guy. Instant <laughs> pals and so on, which is exactly what you would say if you're instant pals with somebody, oh, yeah. you know. So you have to so tell people. Just bursting with sincerity, you know. <laughs> great guy. Instant pal and so on. And I, that just got me thinking as well that it's like, I'm not saying that this speech of instant pal and so on is prepared, but I do think the kind of narrative of like, the guy who will win the competition, I'll choose him. He'll come up here. We'll be instant pals because I'm so cool and I'm mm-hmm. such a bro and he'll be my bro. Well, yeah, I'll he could believe it. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. They're like, they're the fact that he and Caleb have had like three conversations so far and the fact that they've all been like power play mind games from mm-hmm. him. That's not part of his narrative of how cool this is. And as right. we know already, he has one eye on history. You know, he's already been saying yep. the thing of when we tell the story, you turn to me and said, Nathan, you're not a man, you're a God. Mm-hmm. He's already like, he's completely building the narrative. And I think, you know, part of him believes his own bullshit. And he's like saying, yeah, yeah, instant pals and so on. Yeah. Even though I guess like it's a case of never underestimate the human capacity for internal contradiction and living, yeah. you know, living two different versions of reality at the same time, because it, like the way he's behaving is so obviously threatening, mm-hmm. but the narrative he's telling himself is instant pals. Here we go. We're right. in this. And this is, and I have one eye on history and I'm writing the whole story, which is kind of like narcissist 
stuff. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, he might yeah. not notice yeah. that he's yeah. lying or just saying what sounds good. Yeah. Because people like him, you know, their relationship with the truth is very fluid. And, you know, this is my truth. Tell me yours. Especially, yeah, billionaire tech genius. Yeah. He says what he says. And there's people who are going to be like, yeah, that's absolutely true. Exactly. He's surrounded by yes men mm-hmm. and yes women and yes gender nonconforming, etc. And now yes, Caleb. And now yes, Caleb. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because Caleb's a robot. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what's fun is it doesn't matter if it, this is Nathan's ego or his plan. And it doesn't matter if Caleb's a robot or a human. The result of their conversations goes the same way. Yeah. In your version, nothing matters. The whole, right. what's the point of any of this happening? Nothing matters. No, but that makes it, that's the point <laughs> is that no matter whether Caleb's a robot or a person, he can still be manipulated by people just saying what he wants to hear. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of have... I think you've mentioned on the podcast so far that you want to stop saying that about yes. Nathan being because you've, you've said it so many times. But every time you say it, I have like a kind of an, a non-specific, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm fighting against it mm. for a couple of reasons that are less philosophical and more kind of technical to do with the plot and stuff. And I was, I was trying to, you know, in, cre- oh, yeah, in preparing yeah. for today, I was trying to work through it. And it, I think it comes down to the Blade Runner problem. Okay. That like in Blade Runner, the idea that Deckard might be a replicant the oh, first yeah, time yeah. you see it. It has that kind of, whoa, Deckard's a replicant all along. <laughs> it's such a cool twist, you know. And then when you re-watch the film with the idea that he's a replicant, it doesn't add anything. No. And it's just stupid and annoying. And it creates questions that I'm not saying it's impossible to iron it out and, and make sense of it all. If you want to make sense of it at all, you end up saying things like, well, they're all just implanted memories. And he didn't really work for the police department for that many years because he's only four years old. It's like, well, then who would create... Who would create a replicant of a jaded old detective who's like retired, you know, being taken out of retirement? Someone who was really into film noir. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's the program they wrote for him. Yeah. Yeah. Jumping in from editing, and I hate to do this to you, Austin, because you don't get to rebut this for now. I think it does matter and does make sense if Deckard is a replicant, because that tells us something. It's not about him or the plot of the movie itself. It's telling us something about the society that exists, in particular in Los Angeles, in this future where it's set. Because not only do they create replicants that they make look human when they don't need to, to go off and do jobs that no one wants to do, and work in space and build things and whatever, but also when one of them gets out of line, or in this case several of them get out of line, they call up this detective character they made so many years ago. This is your recommendation? The demolition man's an animal. He's clearly the man for a job such as this. You could reinstate him. He's a muscle-bound grotesque who hasn't worn a shield in 40 years. Simon Phoenix is an old-fashioned criminal. We need an old-fashioned cop. And he thinks he's just been retired and taking a break and coming back, but really, he'd been in some locker someplace. For him, no. That doesn't make much of a difference. He is still the same guy who has been doing this job over and over and over and getting tired of it. But for them, it means they are so incapable of getting anything done on their own that they created these robots that become the problem and then create more robots to fix the problem. And then, going by the sequel, just keep doing it and doing it. Which goes back to the book, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? 
we had to do this paper in college where it was like, look at the presence of religion in that book. And there isn't any, sort of. There are these few fleeting mentions of things relating to old world Christianity. But then there's also this sort of belief that people have about their lives and whether or not they need these fake animals to have as pets and why they need fake animals to have as pets. And it's because there's nothing else important in their lives anymore. And in the film version, that's not played up as much. We have the fake snake, but we don't really get into the whole thing about everyone wants a fake pet and people dream about having a real pet. And the whole point of the title, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? It's not about there's that juxtaposition of dreaming and sleep and the whole counting sheep to fall asleep thing, but really it's more, are these robots we create as human as us in that they dream about this thing they can't have? And the point of the story is that the closer we make something to human, yeah, they're going to dream about things they can't have. It's the great thing about Roy Batty's speech at the end of the movie, is that it is sad when he dies, and we should be sad that he dies. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost. In time, like tears in rain, time to die. And it matters. That Deckard is a replicant. It matters that Caleb is. I don't think he is. But I think the movie wants us to think of that just enough that we realize that for the plot purposes, it might not make any difference. And for the purpose of Caleb's life and in this moment, the probable end of his life, it matters because he's sitting there in that room. What if he is still thinking, I'm just a robot? And what if that gives him hope? that he could survive long enough for someone to come and find him? What if he thinks that blood is a more advanced thing, or it's like Westworld, where the robots don't recognize things that don't work, so he looks in his arm and he doesn't see mechanics because he's been programmed not to. It doesn't look like anything to me. So, yeah. I think it does make a difference, not to the plot for Blade Runner, but it makes a difference to the understanding of who the society is. And in this case... We have a very small society represented in this film. It is Nathan, it is Caleb, it is Ava. And then it is us. Yeah, we'll have to talk about this again when you're on in another few months. Until then, back to your angle. So the same kind of problem applies here, that if you make it that Caleb is any kind of AI, we know that he cuts his fucking arm open mm -hmm. and he, you know, he bleeds and he's flesh and blood. So that means if he is some kind of AI, he's a different type. Is he made by a different corporation? Is he like, maybe he's a Tyrell. Or he's the more Nexus advanced Six. one. Maybe he's a more advanced one. But then like, did Nathan go back? Yeah. Yeah. He's, you know, it creates such kind of just narrative problems. And then I can't quite pin down 
the philosophical problem that I think I have, but it's just kind of a knee jerk thing on my part. It's like, eh, it does matter because <laughs> it's just, I think there, what, what makes it not matter so much again, hinges a lot on the clever thing that Garland did in creating a different hardware platform for Ava. Yeah. Ava is not silicon. She's not software right. in the same way. She's we've got this weird thing that we deliberately wave our hands and don't know about. Even though we see it. Yeah, we don't understand it. You, you see it and we don't, we, you, you don't even have techno babble to kind of say it's a new approach to processing based on mm. heuristic, blah, 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 stochastic, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, they just wave past it. And I think that makes me suspend my disbelief more effectively than if I was sitting through the whole film and go, oh yeah, so Ava is some kind of machine learning? Yeah, yeah. Where's her processing power? Where's the like bank of servers? This doesn't make any <laughs> sense. She's not, you know, and so you get away with this. And I think that's what makes me believe she can have some kind of spontaneous thought and that spark of humanity somehow. And that's what makes less of a difference between Caleb and, and Ava. So mm, I kind of yeah. don't mind so much. Yeah. And I'm trying to stop saying that too. Yeah. Because you can't just say the same stuff. So, yeah. So good thing I brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll have to keep saying it a little bit until we get to the scene where he cuts his arm open. And then it's like, nope, there's blood. Yeah. Done. <laughs> <He's> gone. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't know about that scene yet. So it's fine. You just, you don't, yeah. None of us does. Yeah. But yeah, so just this this like threatening vibe and he's swinging the bottle around and he's like... Well, as you said, swagger. He got that like here, he punctuates by taking a drink. Yeah. Setting the bottle down on his stomach. Yeah. And then the camera cuts to Caleb. So we're with Nathan in this moment, like relaxed. Yeah. In charge. And then yeah. he makes a joke. Oh, the Ghostbusters joke. Yeah. Who are you going to call? And Caleb doesn't get it. He's like, oh, I don't know. I don't well, I, I, Caleb just doesn't. Caleb just doesn't hear. Well, he doesn't expect a joke. Well, yeah, he doesn't yeah. expect a joke. The vibe of a and joke. Then he doesn't hear Ghostbusters also, the first time. He, he, he's, exactly. He says Ghostbusters while Caleb is talking. Mm -hmm. He speaks over him and says, "Who are you gonna call?" Well, I was Ghostbusters. Yeah. What? All it is is that he didn't hear what you said, and right. the immediate like Nathan does this like massive whole body eye roll of like, <laughs> oh, it's a movie, you know? Like yeah. he might as well be like Napoleon Dynamite, you know? Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a movie, you know, it's just like, you're killing me. And <laughs> are you going to call Ghostbusters? It just fucking cracks me up, the comic timing of this and Nathan's massive overreaction and not even because everything's about power with him. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you make a little joke, and by the way, it's not a joke. It's just saying the thing. It's just a reference. Movie, yeah, you know, it's just a reference. And if he makes that joke, it's like if you or I made a little reference and somebody missed it, we just go, oh, I was just joking. I was just doing the thing from the yeah. movie, you know, or we'd repeat it and try to get the laugh, you yeah. know, for, repeat for, it again. for the Who second Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Yeah. Just <laughs> until he yeah. gets it. Like, yeah. Whereas Nathan is like, well, now it's a chance for me to treat him like he's an idiot. So mm -hmm. I'll take that. Thank you very much. You know, yeah, it's a movie, man. Yeah. It's you don't a movie. know that movie? You don't know that movie. It's like the idea. That somebody doesn't know who you're going to call Ghostbusters. <laughs> it's so preposterous. And he knows it. But again, he's got a narrative. He's like, and now he doesn't know anything about the movie. So now I get to treat him like an asshole. Or he's testing programming of Caleb. He's like, your brain is supposed to Oh, Caleb's an AI. Whoa, yeah. you've just dropped this he's bomb on me, Robert. What? Where is this coming from? <laughs> so, yeah, just th that is like, one of the few kind of laugh out loud moments for me in this film is just watching watch Nathan up that joke. Mm -hmm. 
And then he has to go more about talking about Ghostbusters, which could be off-putting depending on how prudish Caleb is because yes. he doesn't say, you know, Bill Murray's hilarious or something like that. He says, no. a ghost gives Dan Aykroyd oral sex. Which is the perfect like jock fact for that. You know, right, exactly. Perfect, like bro kind of thing to say about it. It's not even, you know, Sigourney Weaver floats above a bed. No. People would remember that. Or Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, make a yeah. bigger reference everyone gets. I kind of feel like this was the fact that that weird moment is in the film is almost an internet meme. I mean, maybe there is a literal meme about it, but it's also like, it's just, it gets on these lists, you know, mm-hmm. 10 weird facts, but it's yeah. a very internet age kind of thing to observe about the movie. Cause it's like, there's this weird thing in the middle of a montage where, and it is weird. And when you, when, yeah. you, when you watch it as an adult and you're like, was that always in the movie? You know, uh-huh. uh, or I was, and I know a lot of people had that reaction. Yeah. Cause as a kid, I didn't know what was going on in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a legitimate kind of observation to make but it was just even by 2014 it had been said so much and it was such a kind of a go-to weird crazy facts uh, oral sex the ghost uh." you know and it's just it's so perfect that that's what nathan picked out and then he takes another drink so he's still punctuating his talking yeah (laughs) and then we get a new angle on caleb as he kind of starts to actually say useful things right i was just wondering how the phone worked that's all. Yeah. And he puts the receiver back in the in the script. He puts the receiver back immediately. I like this delay because he's frozen. Yes. Yeah. And I'm sure that just comes out of running the scene and rehearsing mm-hmm. the scene a bit. And it just it feels natural. It worked better to take longer. Yeah. 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 And uh, he puts it back and it's just like, I also believe him. I don't think he knew who he would have called. You know what I mean? Oh, no, he right. just um, uh, and, and because he and doesn't know any we, actual people. We, he doesn't know people. He doesn't have a family and all that stuff. But I think I he would have looked. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> he can't call one of his implanted memories. Right. But yeah, I think he would have just like tested for a dial tone or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is probably a better cover line to say, especially when there's been a power cut, you know, because yeah. whenever there's a power cut, the oh, is the phone still working? You know, okay, the phone's working, but the power is down. Okay. Yeah. In the moment, he's got good reason to check a phone. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm locked underground. Yeah. And a moment ago, I couldn't even get out of my room. But of course, that is a cordless phone, which the base unit requires electricity. So even if the phone line wasn't down, mm-hmm. you wouldn't know. It wouldn't work, would right. knock it out unless you were connected with an actual phone phone, an old school phone. Yeah, and he's a landline with a yeah, wire yeah. To, to go without yeah. power. There you go. I don't know what that gains us to know that, but there we go. Now we know that. <laughs> well, it's what Caleb doesn't know because he's too young. Yes. Yeah. Before your time. Because he's born in 1983, not because he's a robot. That'd be silly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because he was born in 2013. Yeah. So, yeah, he's one, just one. <laughs> I did find a good explanation of that one answer. Uh, I think it was on Reddit. Okay. Because it's very odd. Well, someone says she's saying one because of basically her base language is binary. She's turned on right now. So she's <laughs> one. And I'm like, that's funny. A one bit binary variable yeah. of being off or on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I'm able to talk to you. So I'm one. I'm one. Yeah. Interesting. I don't buy it. <laughs> no, it was amusing because they found yeah, something. And yeah. She doesn't know. Yeah. And she's fucking with him. Yeah. I was a much more forgiving of both Ava and Nathan before doing this show. Right. Yeah. And now I'm just like thinking every single thing Nathan does is just manipulation. And everything Ava did from the start is she knows this new guy's here. There's something going yeah. on. 
She might not know it's a test of her, but she knows there's something. And she's calculating, okay, if there's another person here, Mm -hmm. that's another variable. That means there's a way in and out. This is a place where there's somewhere else. And just it's another variable. So there's just more circumstances that can be pushed around and things can be manipulated. What's she going to do with two people to deal with? Play them off each each other. other. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of the results. It's interesting. It's like, I keep thinking when it comes to Ava's decision-making, I keep thinking of a particular episode of Star Trek, the next generation. Okay. And I think it's from season one. It's certainly from like before it got good. And it's, it's they encounter <laughs> this race called the binars. Oh yeah. And it's like, everything's binary with you is basically the gimmick of the shows. Mm-hmm. Their star system is a binary star system. And they walk around in pairs where there's always two of them and they speak in mm-hmm. binary. Well, they speak a, a spoken language that's the closest thing to binary in the no. And it's just like, <laughs> first of all, that is such a junior first reader sci-fi kind of like, they're from a binary world, so everything's binary. It's like it's like <laughs> being from a rainbow world and everything is rainbow. Co- it's so basic. Yeah. But in the end, their whole decision making is binary and everything. And the plot of the episode is they take over all of the systems because they're computery, so they can instantly take over the computer of the Enterprise and basically hold the ship hostage and use it for their own purposes and imprison the crew and all of that. And they do all of this and it's just like all they needed to do was some bleep, bleep, bleep techno babble about saving their planet or saving their civilization mm-hmm. or whatever. And in the end, their purposes were not nefarious or anything. So in the end, Picard is asking them, why did you do it this way? Why didn't you just ask for our help? And they say, because you, you could have said, said no. no. Yeah. And then Riker is like, oh, that's what it came down to. A simple binary problem, blah, blah, blah. You know, wrap it all up and have the case of the week over and network television and all that (laughs) so i do kind of think like that did stick in my head as not as much as that's not a great episode that's kind of you know final payoff to the binary decision the punchline's good yeah yeah it really stuck with me and i do think of that when i think about ava because ava's decision to what i'm screaming at the screen when i see this still is why didn't you work together you wanted the same thing you wanted to Okay, maybe he was being a bit creepy and a bit selfish and the whole thing with Kyoko is a bit fucked up, yeah. but you still would have gotten out. Mm-hmm. And I do kind of think of Ava might make that decision, even though I've gone on about how she's probably not binary based because she uses this other technology and she might not. But anyway, she makes the decision based on he might not have helped me this way. I'm sure right. this way. I'm sure to get out and I need to get out. If he could turn on Nathan, he could turn on me. Yeah. And it's just that calculated you know, I really loved the movie the first time I saw it, but I did have difficulty not believing the ending or, you know, even liking it, but just kind of making peace with it and kind of being able to see it from Ava's point of view and mm-hmm. not seeing her as, as evil, you know? Yeah. So after he puts the receiver back, Nathan says, so what are you doing awake this time? We go back to Nathan and says, you come to join the party? Mm. And he gestures at the bottles on the table. Yeah. He not only just placed them there a minute ago, he's making sure Caleb sees him. He's making sure Caleb sees him. And he's also making a reference to Caleb's embarrassing faux pas Mm -hmm. in the early, because he's calling him drinking alone a party in an ironic reference to Caleb saying, was it at least a good party? And he's (laughs) like, it wasn't a party. Sorry. You know, and so now he's reminding him, yeah, you, you think me drinking alone is a party, don't you? That's what you call this. You're a tick. You know, that's like, that's the kind of level he's at. 
<laughs> I don't care for Nathan. <laughs> right? <laughs> you can get why someone would enjoy sitting near him and talking to him, but you also assume before the end of the conversation, they want to leave. Yeah. Yeah. And I have met people like that who are kind of, you know, magnetic and take over the whole thing and you just, just enough charm to lure yeah, you in and, yeah, and you do realize oh no and even uh, you know it's a funny kind of dynamic that you can slip into because even when i would be i would think that i would see through somebody like that fairly early on in the process mm. but i'm also such a people pleaser that that doesn't mean i'll i, I won't necessarily stand back from trying to really engage with them i'll, I'll be because the the kind of yeah. they're like social animal in me is just like well this guy is like i don't want to use the term alpha because that's kind of been largely discredited and it's kind of a bullshit framing yeah. but this guy is the holds the, he's holding court he's the head of this moment he owns this social moment right i want to be like at his coattails and that you know and i do and i just kind of catch myself and i've just been like and then when you're not seduced by somebody or you you see through them and then you watch everybody else so kind of being obsequious or it's just disgusting to see yeah. you know and uh it's a very interesting dynamic yeah and caleb is in this scene at least not quite buying into it because he's you know it's 2 30 in the morning he just got frightened yeah. and he's tense he's not there so he's just Stating matter of fact, something happened in my room, some kind of power cut. Mm -hmm. So I came to see what's going on. And then Nathan's explanation is, as you already said, he should know what causes yes. these like power yeah. cuts. Yeah. We've been getting those recently. Yeah. Which so far could just be him manipulating Caleb because he knows what they're for. Yeah. But then going into next minute, he has this long pause at the end of this where he's like, um, I'm working on it. Yeah. Which means nothing. Yeah. And it's also like, you didn't think to tell me that earlier. Right. Which again. You didn't warn me in this basement room I might get locked exactly, in. Yeah. It didn't have to be the middle of the night. Yeah. Which which is totally believable with Nathan's character that he wouldn't bother to do that. And he wouldn't, you yeah. know. He just hopes it doesn't happen. Yeah. Week. Yeah. That's, that's where he is. Yeah. Yeah. That's why he's in here drinking. He got embarrassed. Yeah. It's like, oh, I went out while Caleb's here. <laughs> it's my big moment. Yeah. I wonder, can he be embarrassed? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The end of this minute is a weird, I don't know if you caught it, but Nathan's eyeline switches. Right. Like through this whole conversation, he hasn't really been looking at Caleb. Yeah. And now he looks at him gotcha. to say, I'm working on it yeah. into the next minute. But then I'm like, but maybe that's also a mistake of Garland's camera set. I was just going to say, it's, it's the Garland sure. <laughs> that, that you've been tracking right. through this series. Yeah. I mean, he, there's a thing in this minute alone where he had the sort of wider shot of Caleb. And then when we come back to him to actually talk, we're closer. That's fine. Yeah. And it's even not that bad that the angle is slightly different. Yeah. Because that's hard to do exact with a handheld camera. But some of his cuts where he does that is just, just cuss. Yeah. And yeah. I don't get it. So this could just be an effect of that where they had cameras in two different places for the scene. And so his eyeline was different. Yeah. Or he's finally looking at Caleb. And he hasn't been the whole time. Yeah. Mm. To sell the, you know, the drunk. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I can't even focus on it. wandering eyes. He's looking at the Pollock. Well, actually, I guess he wouldn't be looking at the Pollock because Pollock's to the right. He's looking up oh, to the he? left. He's looking at the bright light in the okay. corner yeah, yeah. that I think is coming from outside. Yeah. It's like so a skylight. You just see him as big blurry light. He saw movement. He assumes it's mm -hmm. Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> so until next week or until tomorrow, they come back for the rest of the trilogy. Where can people hear you? People or find you can, <laughs> yeah, people can find me at uh, malkovichminute.net. 
And I'm just going to stop saying it'll come back because it will. But, you know, it's just getting increasingly embarrassing. <laughs> and I've got I've got things to fix in my life before it comes back. And the next episodes are with your good self, Professor. And they're fully edited. They're in the chamber. But I'm not going to release till I have <laughs> something to show. So you'll find all the social media links on MalkovichMinute.net. Thank you for listening. Minutia Ex Machina is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for more Ex Machina, every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and every Thursday for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. You can follow all three shows in one feed. Just search An Existential Trilogy. Follow this show on Twitter at Ex Minutia, Instagram at Minutia underscore X underscore Machina, or Facebook at Minutia Ex Machina. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. Also, you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. What imperative does a gray box have to interact with another gray box? Can consciousness exist without interaction? The real test is to show you that she's a robot and then see if you still feel she has consciousness. Our people express their gratitude. We will return to your starbase for whatever punishment your system requires of us. Why didn't you just ask for our help? You might have said no. But there was a very good chance we would have said yes. Our need was too great to risk rejection. So you stole it. Their reason was part of the binary thinking. For them, there are only two choices, one or zero, yes or no. No one has been hurt. You have achieved your objective. You have your planet back in order. We have our ship. 